South Carolina, and you know you're talking to that repo man. Election night 2016 was such a shocker nationally that maybe you've forgotten that, oh yeah, California voted to legalize recreational marijuana. And come January, if you're at least 21, cannabis can be officially taxed and sold to you, just like, go oh, the cheese doodles you'll be wanting to eat after you light up. It is a massive undertaking, turning an illegal underground industry into a legal and legit one, a business that could put $50 million a year in tax money into the city's purse. Last month, Mayor Eric Garcetti chose Cat Packer to be executive director of the Department of Cannabis Regulation. He and the city council and a cannabis commission will be crafting the city's rules and regs for who can sell what where, and Packer's office will be enforcing them. She was California coordinator for the Drug Policy Alliance, and she doesn't underestimate the scale of this, everything from how sellers get licensed to whether to put bins at the airport for tourists to throw away their pot before they board a plane. As L.A. becomes the biggest pot-friendly city in the nation, the nitty-gritty of making it work here could be the making or breaking of cannabis deregulation nationwide. This is a job that's never existed before. How do you, from scratch, create a job like this? City Council has been working on developing rules and regulations and, and policy in this area for about a year now. Uh, we're having conversations about how to make this right for Los Angeles. But I think that this starts with having the right people at the table, community members, uh, industry stakeholders, patients, consumers, community members who don't want anything to do with cannabis at the table. When you took the job, what was the responsibility? They said, go and do this. What is the this part? Uh, but really, my job will be implementation because uh, lots of the policy decisions will be made by city council. And so you'll have 15 members of uh, Los Angeles City Council deciding what's what's right for them. And lots of communities in Los Angeles look very different uh, from other communities in Los Angeles. And so uh, to try and create a comprehensive framework for uh, what could be very polarized uh, positions, California and the way that it's developed its its uh, cannabis policy is really going to be uh, a model for, for the nation and hoping that Los Angeles can, can be a, a model for, for the nation as well. The reason why I say that is that uh, California has the most social justice oriented cannabis policy that's been developed thus far. How do you bring drug policy and social justice issues uh, in the same room? How do those issues intersect? And, and the reason why I actually got involved in, in cannabis policy is, is because of how drug policy and social justice uh, concerns intersect. Well, tell me about that, because it sounds like you came to this not thinking, let's legalize marijuana, but let's even the playing field. Let's make things fair. I, I, I think that uh, America has operated under this uh, this system of prohibition for a very long time, and we we know how impactful this policy has been in terms of criminalization. I stand by my belief, based I think on the scientific evidence, that uh, marijuana for casual users, individual users, is subject to abuse just like alcohol is, uh, and should be treated as a public health problem and challenge. 
But as I said in the interview, my concern is when you end up having very heavy criminal uh, app, uh, penalties for individual users that have been applied unevenly uh, and in some cases uh, with a racial disparity. And so in, in terms of my approach to cannabis policy, it's really been uh, trying to figure out what are some s smarter, safer, healthier alternatives to uh, the war on drugs. Uh, and I, I think that regulation uh, is that safer alternative. In the state of California, we've kind of waged this war on drugs using cannabis as the, as the marker. And now under California law, cannabis is not even a drug anymore. By definition, cannabis is not a drug. I, I truly believe if we don't take the, the moment to acknowledge uh, our past policies, the history of, of cannabis policies in this country, then we're bound to make the same mistakes as we move forward. You talk about social justice. How do you think this is a remedy or at least goes some way toward a remedy? In a number of different ways. I, I think that one of the most interesting things that I found about cannabis policy uh, particularly how it's developed here in the United States is that even from the beginning, uh, in 1937, uh, when, when cannabis was first made illegal here in the United States, uh, there were racial overtones to how that policy was, was crafted. Uh, there was a guy by the name of Harry Anslinger. Uh, he was the, the lead director of a uh, organization uh, the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, which was the predecessor to the Drug Enforcement uh, Administration and Agency. The Treasury Department intends to pursue a relentless warfare against the despicable dope-peddling vulture who preys on the weakness of his fellow man. Harry Anslinger uh, was, was a racist man, <laughs> um, and he felt as though uh, only blacks and Latinos smoke cannabis and that it made white women want to sleep with black men. And he said this all on, uh, you know, all of this was recorded. This is, wow. this is history. Um, but people don't know that. And so speed up to, to modern day, when we're in a country where uh, African-Americans and Latinos are four times more likely to be arrested for cannabis, uh, we, were, we had those same connotations and thoughts in our minds uh, 70 years ago. We, we know that for, for years and years and years, we've had these disproportionate uh, arrests, particularly in low-income communities and communities of color. And to me, it asks us, are we going to be indifferent about it? Do we, do we care about the fact that these community members have uh, been denied access to housing, education, employment uh, for the, for the very same plant that is now an economic opportunity? There's so much irony in that. You could have literally lost your job or been denied having a job for a past cannabis conviction, but now it is an entire job and industry. Now I am uh, in this position, um, as this industry is kind of laying its foundation, how do I, uh, how does the city of Los Angeles acknowledge these past cannabis policies and the role that it's played? And I think that it requires us to acknowledge history I think that it, it requires us to acknowledge the harm that community members have experienced uh, and then try to create policies that address those harms. So one of the things that uh, the city of Los Angeles intends to do is to create a social equity program uh, by way we would, we would 
uh, allow community members and individuals who had been most impacted uh, by the war on drugs to have access to this industry uh, in, a, in a very meaningful way. To be um, sellers or growers or... Right, to, to participate uh, in this legal industry because ultimately, and even today, uh, the difference between what is legal and legal activity and illegal activity could be having a license from my department or working from some for someone who has a license from my department. Hmm. So it's very important that they have access to these these legitimate job opportunities because not having legitimate job opportunities means committing a crime. I think that Los Angeles really intends to to do this in a in a way that's conscious. And I don't think that this is going to happen overnight. Uh, this this industry uh, wasn't built overnight. There are folks who have been in this industry uh, illegally longer than I've been alive. And so I think that it's going to take some time uh, before uh, we get this right. And even when we get this right, it will not be a perfect policy. Uh, but I promise that it will be a better policy than prohibition because prohibition has, has truly been a failure. How useful have the medical marijuana regulations been in looking about crafting just plain old recreational marijuana regulations? The Adult Use of Marijuana Act was built largely upon the medical regulation. So folks understood that uh, that the legislature was moving in 2015 with the Medical Cannabis and Regulation and Safety Act. And when they put this ballot initiative together, they understood that they were building a framework on top of uh, something that was already in existence. And so there's a lot of consistency uh, among what was in uh, the 2015 iteration of medical uh, laws and rules. But I think that because of this history of criminality that we have that's associated with, with cannabis, uh, sometimes we're not able to have the full spectrum of conversation to say, uh, well, that might be appropriate for medical uh, for folks who, who might have medical conditions. But if we're talking about adults who are 21 and up, uh, there might be other considerations that, that we need to, to think about. Like what? In the open container regulations, there, there are different exceptions uh, for medical patients, even in, in terms of how you're, you're treated uh, with regard to uh, child custody status. So I think that even as you uh, see cannabis policy develop, uh, folks are going to try and differentiate, oh, these folks are, are patients and these folks are consumers. And sometimes that's going to make sense, uh, and sometimes it's not going to make sense. So people may have voted to, yes, you can walk into a store and buy it, but I don't want that store in my neighborhood. How does Los Angeles deal with that part of it, which it had to do with medical marijuana as well? And a lot of residents uh, have have very genuine concerns about uh, their experience with a proliferation of unregulated, illicit, unlicensed businesses. We're going to take a very inclusive and community-centered approach uh, where we require businesses to have neighborhood liaisons, uh, whereas if there's a complaint, uh, someone can be reached immediately to address that complaint through this public engagement process will really be able to tease out what the root issues are uh, and try to create policies that address those issues. What is the LAPD worried about as this rolls out? They'll primarily be responsible for uh, enforcement against unlicensed businesses, and there are, are a lot of unlicensed businesses in the city. And so it's, it's really going to be 
uh, my department, city attorney, and uh, the LAPD working together uh, kind of as this enforcement trio, uh, either uh, against licensed businesses who are uh, not in compliance or unlicensed businesses who need to shut down. LAPD, of, of course, is going to have uh, different concerns about how uh, they police individual communities and individuals uh, because everything's not legal. Um, there are still possession limits. There are still restrictions on where you can consume. Um, and so all of, all of these issues um, could pose you know, public safety uh, concerns. Do you think there's public misunderstanding that they think anybody can sell it now and anybody can smoke at any time, like in the workplace? You, you can't fire me. I, it's legal to smoke marijuana now. Yes, I, I think that there's, there's truly been a lack of information that's been made uh, available. And I, I think that uh, it's, it's part of my responsibility to, to try and disseminate as much information as possible. People think that they can consume outside. Uh, people don't necessarily understand that uh, consuming cannabis can be the very reason that keeps them from being employed, uh, that you know, if they are living in certain types of housing, that they could be kicked out of their housing uh, because of, of their cannabis use. They could be denied certain public benefits. Um, and so, and I, I think that these are our policy uh, questions and decisions that still have to be made. Even at the state level, the state regulations haven't been fully developed yet. And so, you know, there there's this timeline, this, these parallel timelines where the city is setting up its regulatory framework and the state is setting up its regulatory framework. And uh, there are going to be some hiccups along the way. But we're going to do our best to, to make sure that the community uh, has access to this information. Uh, and things change literally every single day. I learn so much. I, I learn something new on this job every single day. What is your calendar right now? What things need to be done on what schedule? It's, it's all kind of up in the air. We do know that the licensing at the state applications are, are going to be made at the, at the state level uh, no later than January 2nd. And we do have here in Los Angeles a, a number of folks who have been in business since 2007 who operate retail locations right for medical now. marijuana. And in order for them to be able to continue their operations, they have to have some type of local authorization or permit or license before January 2nd. And so part of my responsibility in working with various other departments is to, to at least make sure uh, that those individuals can continue to operate while the state is, is, is figuring out its, its framework. There was a tussle over how many medical marijuana operations were permitted. Maybe, again, that's an area where the past experience is instructive in setting this up for you. Right. And I think that part of the conversation is is that uh, I don't think the city of Los Angeles has ever truly understood the size of the the cannabis market here. Uh, How big is it? Do you, I'm I'm still it? I'm still figuring it out. Also, <laughs> the size of the licensed and legal market has to meet the demand. Um, otherwise, that demand is going to be met with uh, illicit supply, and so there has to be this ongoing process of understanding. Well, how, what's the demand, and we need to make sure that we're uh, issuing enough licenses to to meet that demand. Do you think that the people who are licensed to grow and sell are going to be cooperating in policing the illegal market now? I've, I've heard from uh, many, many of industry participants uh, in, from other jurisdictions that 
uh, the legal cannabis industry becomes best friends, uh, essentially, with the folks who are doing the enforcement uh, to share information about folks who uh, aren't licensed because essentially it cuts into uh, their their business profit. And uh, if you have a, a licensed dispensary who's had to pay tens of thousands of dollars to uh, get their facility uh, up and running and then you have uh, someone next door who hasn't paid any of those fees, I do think that you're going to see licensed uh, cannabis businesses sharing information relative to illegal activity in the city. Are cities entitled to say no to marijuana retail outlets completely? Absolutely. Local governments have complete authority to ban uh, commercial cannabis activity uh, in, in their city. They, they can't ban uh, personal cultivation. They can't ban uh, indoor personal cultivation. Um, and you can't stop a business from driving on your streets as it gets to uh, wherever it's going, but you can essentially stop delivery to uh, your your municipality. I'm sure you've heard some lame jokes from your job, and I tried a couple today. So what <laughs> are there any good ones, but what are the bad ones? I, I think that this is a joke that I'd like to, to play on folks, but I think that around Christmas time, whenever there's an opportunity for, for folks to to bring snacks. Um, I'm just going to bring a, a, a plate of brownies and, and let folks know that they're from the Department of Cannabis Regulation and see if anyone is, <laughs> is brave enough to, to try the brownies or if they'll, they will assume. Cat Packer, thank you so much. Thank you. Pat Morrison Asks is produced for the Los Angeles Times by Pat Morrison. It's engineered by Tim French and Todd G. Levin and edited by Levin. The audio is from the documentary Grass, the History of Marijuana, from CNN, from Cab Calloway performing Reefer Man in 1931, and Peter Tosh singing Legalize It on the Columbia label. Subscribe to Pat Morrison Asks and never miss a podcast. I am Pat Morrison. Call.